0: Well, praise the Lord! It's so uh, good to come together. It's so good to meet together. My uh, brother Vinny, all the way from Brazil, gave me a compliment this morning. He said I look less Canadian this morning and more Brazilian, and I didn't know what he meant by that, but I took it for a compliment. And, uh, anyways, it's so good to be uh, to gather together. And I'm so thankful again for a church that allows. Uh, their pastor and, and his wife to get away, uh, to be refreshed, and we certainly were refreshed. We had a wonderful time with the Friesens, uh, but so glad to be home this morning. There's nothing like being in Sunday at Emmanuel Baptist Church, and so thankful again uh, for you all and meeting together, and so thankful for this text. You'll uh, recall, and I'm glad uh, Richard, when, when he read the scripture, backed up a little because we'll, we'll recall what happened in this chapter you know, a miracle in chapter number three again happened. This man who was born lame from birth, and you can imagine that. His his legs would have been um, uh, all out of function. His bones would have been brittle. Uh, there would have been no muscles, no tendons, no ligaments that happened to begin on them. And he wouldn't even know how to walk. He wouldn't even know the coordination that happened to begin right there. But Peter and John, as they came into the temple that morning to, uh, to uh, worship God, had no silver and gold. But they had something better. They had the power of Christ resting upon them. And uh, this causes men, again, to leap, to all of a sudden walk, you know, and you can imagine him rejoicing, dancing, shouting, you know, and it drew a crowd, didn't it? You know, as he clung on to both Peter and John at this time, it grew a crowd because everybody would have recognized this beggar daily at the temple begging, but all of a sudden he can walk. But as their attention was on him, it quickly focused to both Peter and John, they realized that these men were the focus. These men were the source. But Jesus uh, Peter knew that they were not the source. So he redirected the attention away from them onto where it needs to be, the, and that is the Lord Jesus crucified, yea, risen from the grave, and that they need to repent again of their sins and trust in him if they want any entrance into God's, again, eternal kingdom. He preached the gospel to them. And as we come to chapter number four, we come to one of the favorite actors of our great enemy, Uh, to somehow stamp out Christianity through the centuries and that happens to be again persecution we have the rise of persecution and in a way we shouldn't be surprised by this because we're told again over and over through the word of God even in the Old Testament as they persecuted the prophets of the Old Testament they've always persecuted the people of God and Jesus Christ warned us over and over because we live in this Christ-hating world that we will suffer persecution we will suffer opposition for our faith in the Lord Jesus in John chapter 16 verse number five he says I said to these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you have what tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world he also said in John fifteen nineteen. he says if you were of the world the world would love you as its own but because you are not of the world there's a reason but I have chosen you out of the world therefore the world what Hate you. There's a natural hatred that happens to be again of the world of anything godly, of anything that speaks of our great God. Peter, who had just preached, wrote in First Peter chapter four and verse number twelve: "Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you, uh, upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you." And of course, in Second Timothy chapter three and verse number twelve, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, and that's a promise that happens to come from God. That's one of those dark promises many times we do not want to concentrate on, but it happens to be in the Word of God. And that opposition, that persecution, is just not physical. It's just not imprisonment or beating or anything else or martyrdom. But it also comes in taunts, it also comes in words, it's also verbal in nature. In fact, Jesus even taught in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verses 11 and and following, Blessed are you when others revile you. Those are words, aren't they? And Persecute and utter all kinds of evil. There are words, again, falsely on my account. Why should we be happy about this? We should rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And the reason why I bring all this up and read all these verses as we start out this morning because I think we 're all often surprised we 're surprised by opposition we 're surprised by the hatred that happens to be in the world you know, and many times we just do not realize that we 've been called to trials and we complain so easily about the little idiosyncrasies that happen to begin in our lives, let alone the opposition. but that opposition will come if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus if you live as a bold witness of the Lord Jesus Christ, let me tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, you will suffer opposition. It could be from those who happen to be again at work. I mean, so often we can feel that tug in our hearts to want to fit in, to not want to be the odd person out. You know, and why, why do we want to do that? It's because we do not want to suffer the opposition. A lot of times it might come from family members. And we know, again, our family members do not, many of our family members do not love the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, again, many times will acquiesce here or there or wherever. And why? To keep some sort of modicum external peace. We will let down, again, our standards as far as believers in the Lord Jesus. We won't speak for him. You know, it could be neighbors. It could be, again, the government. You know, it's tough uh, truly living for a life of the Lord Jesus Christ. I read a little uh, thing on social media, you know, that basically said, uh, I hope all uh, homophobes really have a hard time this month. And the reason why is because this is uh, Gay Pride Month. And, 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 and it is amazing, isn't it? You know, uh, the direct assault comes upon Christianity, most of all, with all of the laws, with all of the things. In fact, even as I say that, I've actually broken laws in Canada for saying that. You know, and it's not that we should be anti-gay at all. You know, we're not anti-anyone. You know, and let me just say this about homophobia. I am not a homophobe. You know, phobia means I'm, I'm afraid of something. You know, when, so when somebody commits the sin of homosexuality, it's just like somebody committing the sin of loving, I don't know, money and the things that happen to be of this world, if that happens to be their idolatry. The biggest need that they have is Jesus Christ. But here here's my whole point. We will suffer. We'll suffer at the hands of the government. We'll have, suffer at the hand of family members. We'll suffer from the hand of those even what we work with. There will be Opposition just because we're believers in the Lord Jesus. You know, but the other side of the coin here is we have to realize the most meaningful, the most joyous, the most, if I could even say, say it glibly this way, the most happy life that we could ever live, the most, most substantial life that we could ever live, the most uh, glorious life that we could ever live, with so many blessings that happen to be in it, is a Christian life. There's none like it. You know, so often we picture Christianity as just this big struggle. You know, we have all these difficulties until we get to the end. That happens to be right here. And there's no rejoicing. There's no celebration. But there is. You know, that's what Jesus Christ has come to give in our lives. Not just in a sweet by and by, oh, that will be glory. But there's so much glory. There's so much happiness. There's so much joy. There's so much to rejoice about in the here and now. Even Jesus said, said this, these things I've spoken to you, why have I spoken to, to you? That my joy may be in you, and that your joy, and listen to why, again, we have these words of the gospel, Christ's presence in our life, that, that your joy may be full. In other words, it may be right. Paul's benediction in Romans chapter 15, verse number 13 says, may the God of hope fill you, and listen to what he fills you with in the here and now, with all joy and peace and believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope. And we realize, again, if we're really Spirit-filled, in other words, we're so Christ-saturated, so saturated with his Word, what's going to come through us is the attributes of the Spirit, isn't it? other words, the fruit of the Spirit. And one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. You know, in Galatians chapter 5, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You know, and we realize that. You know, even Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him... Uh, you believe in him, and listen to what happens, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. You know, aren't you happy to be, a, aren't you glad, aren't you excited to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? You know, this is not a humdrum life. This is the most substantial, the most glorious, the most meaningful life that we could ever live in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and it is, again, a very great paradox, isn't it? You know, and, and, and uh, we talked about it, but that paradox a bit, is that we have suffering, that we have persecution, that we have hardship, that happens to be again over here. But we have this, again, inexpressible joy that comes out in our life. And the reason why we have this inexpressible joy, and I want you to get this, is because it's not, it's, it, it, it's, it's not about our circumstances. It's not about what we are going on. It's not based upon, boy, do I ever have an easy life. It's not about that. It's about the one that we're connected to. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about him in our lives, the great hope that we have in Christ. You know, and don't you want to grow in that joy? Don't you want to grow in knowing Christ and loving him? Because let me tell you, that's a dangerous, dangerous question. And you know why it's so dangerous? Because the more that we love Christ and rejoice in him, the bigger he becomes in our estimation the more that we will be opposed, the more that we will suffer. You know, and that's the paradox of the Christian life, isn't it? The more that I truly desire, the more that I truly love Christ, the more that I am committed, the more that I find my satisfaction, my joy in Him and knowing Him is the more that I suffer in my life. You know, and I really want us to look at both of those aspects this morning, and I hope it will be a great uh, challenge to us this morning To look, again, not at the things, again, that we learn, the things that we rejoice have lost in our life, but truly want to know Christ, truly want to live the most meaningful, the most impactful, the most joyous lives that we could ever live in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for myself. You know, lives that will matter for all of eternity because Jesus is my all. He is my joy. So first of all, I want us to look at the opposition that we see here in the beginning of chapter number four, opening three verses. And it says, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the, of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. For here's the time element. It was already evening. And let me just say this that uh, i I am absolutely am- amazed at our modern day and would a- and i guess i wouldn 't be i wouldn 't be off base saying this our North American Christianity because it doesn 't exist in a lot of other places that happen to begin in the world, uh, but we complain so much about our lives about our uh, suffering, about uh, the difficulties that happen to begin in our life. And it's almost like we've never picked up the word of God. You know, when you pick up the word of God, when you look at the historical narratives, every one of the historical narratives, you go page after page after page, and none of the people of God ever, ever had an easy life. You know, and one of the reasons why they suffer is because, and, we, we, and we, we know this, but I wonder if we truly know this, that we live in a fallen world. Isn't it true? You know, you know this world is under a curse. This world is terribly broken, and because it's terribly broken, we will suffer. We will go through things of just living in this world that happens to be around that we never thought we'd go through. You know, we'll go through diseases, cancers, dementias, all sorts of different things that we never thought that we would ever go through, and why? Because it's broken. Our cars break down, things happen, the roof starts caving in, whatever happens. You know, we realize that we live in this broken world. And we realize, again, one of the other ways that we suffer is that everyone that I will ever meet on planet Earth is a sinner. Have you ever thought about that? Everyone. And the ones that love I love the most have the greatest potential of causing the greatest pain that happened to begin in my life. You know, but we suffer. And, and, and in a way, we're all victims. You know, people sin against us. But at the same time, we're also victimizers because we're sinners. And because we're sinners, we cause, again, other people to suffer. And many times we even suffer our own suffering in the way we handle those things. But we also realize, and this is the kicker, this is the thing that you have to see in the text. There is a peculiar way that we suffer as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that other people in the world do not suffer. And as we suffer because of the one we're connected to, the one we're related to, and that happens to be, again, Jesus Christ. We're related to him. And again, we can suffer in many different ways, from many different avenues, from many different people that happen to begin in our life. But make no mistake, and I want you to hear this really clearly, if you're serious about your Christianity, if you're really serious about being a witness and living for him and making much of him and having an impact that happens to begin in this world, let me, let me make more, no mistake about it, you will suffer opposition for your faith in Jesus Christ. You can't, you can't but not suffer opposition because we live in this Christ hating world. How can we not suffer opposition for our faith in Jesus Christ? And this is what you see in the text. You know, here they are boldly preaching, proclaiming, you know, exalting Jesus Christ, telling these individuals of their need of Jesus Christ. And listen to what we read in verses 1 and 2. And as they were speaking to the people, right, as they were preaching this message of good news, the priests and the captain of the temple and Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. You know, and... As I said before, as you look at chapter number three, I, we, we read through chapter number three, and we read it uh, you know, so quickly that we don't realize that that's just a summary. You know, they came there in the morning to praise God, to worship God, right? And this man is sitting there, and now it is evening. This has gone on all day. And it's not that uh, in, P- in P- Peter's preaching right here is, is a summary preaching, and probably after the preaching, they, they they heard questions from various different individuals, you know, in telling them again the nature of the kingdom to come, you know, the cost of sin, the need of Jesus Christ to suffer all of these things and rise from the grave, an absolute need of trusting Jesus as the great Messiah, as the great Savior, as the great Redeemer, and they would have preached. You know, time and time and time again, the whole day long, witnessing to these various different individuals, you can imagine. You know, there's a huge crowd, as we'll see again a little later in the text, that happen to be again gathered there. You know, and all of a sudden, there's opposition. There's opposition It comes from three main uh, uh, people that are named here. And one happens to be, again, the priests. And the priests, again, would have been there in the evening. And it would have been their duty to give a teaching in the evening you know, to preach a sermon. And you can imagine how annoyed they were when they stood up in the place to preach, and there was a few speckled people that happened to be again uh, there, and there's this whole crowd that happens to be again over here that are all excited about this man, the Lord Jesus Christ. You can imagine how perturbed they were from this. This is their right. This is their time. This is their moment to preach this message, not these other people that happen to be again there. You know, and we also find the captain of the guard, and the captain of the guard was basically this. He, he was the head of the, what we'd call the temple police. And they were basically instructed to keep order, to keep peace in the confines of the temple. Now, that we realize that Rome is reigning and ruling, but Rome let uh, the Jews regulate the events that happened to go on in the temple. And the reason why is because there was, they weren't allowed any uh, Gentiles, any non-Jews, inside the precinct of the temple itself. But this was a very powerful individual. When you look at him, you have the high priest here, but the next in line after the high priest was none other than the captain of the temple, the captain of the guards of the temple, and this was this man. You know. And then we're introduced to somebody or to a group that happened to be all the way, uh, that we see them all the way through the book of Acts. It's the biggest, uh, we would say, Jewish perpetrators of defiance against the gospel message, and that happens to be the Sadducees. When you look at the religious orders that happen to exist in Israel, there was four of them. There was Sadducees, and we're fairly familiar with them. The Pharisees, which we're really familiar with. And then there happens to be the Essenes and then the Zealots. And there was those four different orders. And the Sadducees, by far, were the most powerful group that happened to be there. And the reason why is because they were wealthy. They were wealthy landowners. And therefore, even though they despised Rome, they were really at peace with Rome. And the reason why is because they loved the status quo. And why? Because they had lots of money, they had lots of influence, they had lots of power. They had lots of material assets at the beginning of their life. So they were always fearful of any religious uh, zealousness that went on. And the reason why is because it would disturb the peace. And they loved the status quo. That was the whole problem with Jesus. The whole problem with Jesus being Messiah is that they didn't want a Messiah. They loved the way things were. You find this in John chapter 11. It says, so the chief priests. And let me just say this about the chief priests. The chief priests were always made up of, here it is, Sadducees, because these were the most powerful positions And the most influential, the most powerful people as far as among the Jews were the Sadducees. So they always made up, The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs, speaking of Christ. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And what's wrong with that? Here's what's wrong with that, at least in their own estimation. And the Romans will come and take away our place. And our nation, we love the status quo. We love the things of this world. We love our positions. We love our material assets. We love the life in the here and now. So think of it. If you love life in the here and now, and Jesus says there's a great kingdom coming, and you need to believe on me, and you love the life in the here and now, what are you going to do with Jesus? And we find that because right after that passage in verses 49 and 50, it says this, but one of them, Caiaphas, again a Sadducee. You know, the the, They owned the right of, uh, they had the most money. And the high priest always went to the highest bidder. So they were always Sadducees. And it says, one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people than the whole nation should perish. You know, and that's why they wanted to execute Jesus Christ. Is why? Because they love this present world. They love the things that happen to begin right here. And I do think it's interesting. Because the reason why uh, the Sadducees and, and the, and the uh, temple guard come against the disciples is not because they've done a miracle. You know, we never find, again, you shouldn't be doing miracles. You shouldn't be doing miracles. You shouldn't have caused this lame man to walk again. We never find that in the Word of God. You know, the reason why they come and they arrest them and apprehend it, them is because of this. It's because they were teaching the people. How dare, and you have to realize, when Galileans were dressed, they were dressed like Galileans. It would have been very easy to see that these were non-educated men. How dare you? This is our right. This is our purveyor. You know, you, know, you have no credentials. You have no letters behind your name. How dare you try to teach the people? But it was not only that they were teaching the people but what they were teaching the people of. Because we see right after that, here it is, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now think of it. Because you have to know a little background here. You know, you have to know this, that the Sadducees were known as the theological liberals for the day. So they would look at much of the miracles, the signs, the wonders that God had done in the Old Testament, and they would deny them. They would say basically this. They were, they were just analogies of, for faith. In other words, they were stories to help us put our faith in Jesus Christ. But they really didn't happen. There was no div- division of the Red Sea. You know, there, there, there was no, none of these plagues that really came upon, again, Egypt. These were just analogies of a faith. And they would say this. And this is absolutely critical because think of what they're teaching. Think of what they're teaching. Think of what they're teaching. There is no resurrection from the dead. You know, what we have is the here and now. This is the blessing that God has given us. And think of it. They're preaching the resurrection from the dead. They have just healed this man who was born lame. And think of what it's saying to them. Because if all this is true, if Jesus, you know, they've heard these gleanings that Jesus is risen. They've heard, again, about these sightings that Jesus is alive. And now this lame man at the gate, and they thought when they crucified him, they were done with him. And now this lame man can walk. And here are these preachers preaching Jesus Christ alive from the dead. And the thing that's wrong about it, and I want you to understand what's wrong about it, because they never debate. They never debate Let's say, let's have a theological debate about this and see if these things are so from the scriptures. They never want to debate from this. And the reason why is because if Jesus is alive from the dead, then they are wrong. And they have to admit that they are wrong. They have to humble themselves below Jesus Christ. And all of life changes. And they're just not willing to do it. And isn't it the same same way in our world and our society today? You know, you present Jesus Christ to many people. And he could tell, you know, by their look on their faces many times, their, 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 their arms are crossed and everything else. Like I can remember preaching the gospel to uh, someone, you know, and I can remember shaking in my boots as I preached because I was sure he was going to bop me in the nose. You know, he did not like what I was saying. He really didn't. You know, and it's amazing to look at it. That's why they discard and throw Jesus again over the side. And why? Because if you are in love with this present world, and Jesus talks about, again, that life is not found here, that we need to repent, we need to admit, what I thought about God, what I thought about righteousness, what I thought about my relationship with God, what I thought about the penalty for my sin was all wrong. And I need to turn from that. I need to turn from the way that I'm living. I need to trust Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Let me tell you, for for those who love the world, to, to those again who are self-conceited, proud individuals, that is a hard message to really believe. That is a defiant message, many times to believe. And as we look at our world that happens to be around us, it's not enough just to reject the gospel. You know, the more the gospel is preached, the more the gospel is lived, the more the Christians, again, truly stand up and say, this is my Lord, look at him, the more that that goes on, it's not to each his own. You know, if you want to believe that, that that's, that's fine. It's amazing how, and I would say in the last 10 or 15 years, there's been an open defiance. People cannot believe this. Even, even at looking at the gospel of the Lord Jesus, some of the stuff that happens to be, again, on the social media, that's put out there that the gospel of the lord jesus is the most hateful message that that the world has ever conceived i mean it's absolutely incredible you know and you look at that it's not enough to say that i reject the gospel there is a hostility that happens to be there there is an apprehension that we want to squash this message altogether you know and we see that you know even in verse number 3 it says and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day For it was already evening. Now, think about it. You read the Gospels for the first time, and then you come over to the, the Acts, and you're reading this. You know, this is high climax. This is high tension, isn't it? Because think of what's going to happen the next day. The next day, the Sanhedrin are going to gather together, and they're going to decide the fate of these men, right? Right, and why? Because they have the power. Now, think of it. These are the same men that condemned the Lord Jesus Christ as crimes against Rome and worthy of crucifixion. You know, none of these men know what's going to happen to them. You know, and right here, really early on in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have all of this going on where Christianity in its infancy can be stamped out. It's absolutely incredible. Look, what is going to happen? What is going to take place? Maybe we should just ease up. Maybe we should just go to our private homes and announce the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe we should just change the gospel and tweak it here and tweak it there. Maybe we should say, well, this is just my opinion. You know, maybe we should change it a bit. You know, let me just make it, just before we go on to verse number four, and look at the blessing that happened to be there. Let me just make a few observations. And one is, think of it, who just preached the message? Anyone know? And it's not Pastor Scott. I'm not talking about this message here. Who just preached the message here? It is, begins with a P. I'll give you a hand. Not Paul, no, no, someone got it wrong. It's Peter, isn't it? It's Peter. And why do I say that? Because two months prior to this, with the same uh, uh, affliction, with the same, what could have been the same consequence, he fled, right? He denied the Lord three times. And last time, he even cursed to make sure that no one knew that he was a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus. You know, and here he is, willing beyond a shadow of a doubt because he knows these are the same men that executed my Lord. Here he is willing, willing to be persecuted, willing to even suffer and die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the question we have to ask ourselves, and I think it's a good question to ask, what has changed? And you know what has changed? And we would say the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we would be right in that, but this is what has changed because Jesus has always been the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This is what has changed. Jesus has become bigger in Peter's estimation, more glorious, more grand than he could ever think. You know, and so much so that his confidence is in him. His joy is in Jesus Christ, and it cannot be contained. You know what? You know what? You can kill me, but guess what? If you kill me, I'm going to be absent from the body, but I'm going to be present with the Lord. You may kill me, but let me tell you, beyond a shadow of doubt, for me to live as Christ, but to die is gain. You may kill me, and my body might waste away, and you might throw me in Gehenna, that garbage a dump that happens to be outside of Jerusalem. But one day, my Jesus will resurrect me. And how do I know? Because I'm related to him. And if he rose, I must also rise. My confidence is in him. And the thing about Peter, the thing, the reason why he's able to announce he's able to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, the reason why he's able to do this is because Jesus Christ has grown in his estimation. He's so much bigger, he's so much grander. And let me tell you let me just say this to our young people. If you ever want to see the epitome of cool, the epitome of cool is Peter in this book. It really is. Uh-uh. It's Christ. Look at who he is. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're gonna do it. It's Christ. That's cool. It really is. And the other observation is basically this. As we look at a text that happens to be again like this. You know, how great is God in the, How great is Jesus Christ in our estimation? How big is he in our lives? You know, I ask the question because we complain about so much opposition in our life. You know, we complain about the government. We're, we're like pouty little children. You know what they did? You know the laws that they passed? You know, instead of living for Jesus Christ, we complain about the... Uh, little things that we have to go through in life. And think of it, folks, and we know this, but we need to put it in front of our lives. There's many of our brothers and sisters around the world that are being persecuted and will be martyred for the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, even today. Because why? For me to live is Christ. But guess what? Guess what? This life is only transitory. And to die is gain. You know, and I wonder how much of our life, our growing love of Lord Jesus Christ, that growing desire to make Christ, right? Whatever controls our heart, whatever fills our soul, whatever captivates our mind, we'll find a way of expression. And when we express Jesus Christ to a Christ-hating world, let me tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, and we'll look at this in a, in a moment, there is great blessing in it, but there's also great opposition. And I wonder, as we look at our lives, how much opposition have we faced? How much have we gone through because we have been that vocal, that exuberant witness, that joyful witness of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done and the salvation he has promised us in this life. You know, that's the challenge, isn't it? You know, and it's such a challenge looking at this text. But I also want us to see the blessing. And you see the blessing in verse number four because listen to verse number four. And they arrested them. And put them in custody to, oh, that's verse number three. Verse number four. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. That's the amazing thing, isn't it? You know, the amazing thing is, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you know this about your life. There, there is joy in salvation. You know, it's not humdrum singing about, you know, he will hold me fast, You know? I look down and I see you singing that song. I see the beautiful accompaniment that happened to be there. But I see you holding your song, singing those songs. And some of you, again, are swaying. Some of you are looking upwards. Some of you have your eyes closed. But you are in worship. You don't have to be forced to sing this hymn of great assurance in this Lord Jesus Christ. And why? Because he's done this work in our life. He's given us new life, so much so that there is a trust in this great Christ. He really is the pearl of, of uh, great price, isn't it? We run towards Jesus, and when you look at the Christ-hating world, they're going in the opposite direction. But let me just say this. It gets even better, because not only does God flood our hope, not only does Jesus Christ flood our, our hearts with hope and with rejoicing, let me tell you beyond a shadow of doubt, he uses our efforts to glorify, to magnify, to make much of him. He uses our passions to be a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just say, say this, that the outcome of that passion, the outcome of that work that's done in the here and now, is never transitory. It's never again just here and now. But it's absolutely eternal in nature. And you see this in verse number four, because listen to what it says. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Now, there's a few things I want us to see here, and one of them happens to be the number. Uh, Tim and I talked a lot about, uh, little bit about this number. What's 5,000? You know, and uh, s- s- some expositors a- absolutely believe that this happens to be a total other words, when you take the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. There were some added on day by day, such as should be saved. So the number's higher than 3,000. And then there was a whole bunch that were saved through the preaching of Peter and John this day, so much so that the number adds to 5,000. You know, and that's one way of looking at it. You know, another way, again, of looking at it, and I believe this is the right way, that this is how many people were gathered in the temple that day that came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Now, how many were gathered, I really don't know, because some of them no doubt rejected the gospel of the Lord Jesus. You know, and uh, Tim, w- Tim was asking me why, why we don't see numbers like that, and the only answer that I, got, I have is God chose to move during that time. But can you imagine from the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus and then he rises three days later and all of a sudden you have this time period of two months that follow right here until the preaching of Peter and John that happened to be again over here. And you realize that you mocked and scorned the one who had risen. You realize beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are guilty before God. And can you imagine living day after day after day after day after day after day after day, after day with that guilt and not knowing the Answer. And here all of a sudden is this miracle. Here all of a sudden is this sign. We know that this is connected to Jesus. And then you hear the preaching. Repent and trust in him. He has done it all. You know, and all of a sudden there's this flood of good news. And I believe the number is 5,000. Now let me just say this about numbers. You have 3,000. You have 5,000. And what's the next number that we hear in the book of Acts? You got it right. There's not another one. And one of the reasons why I think is not because, you know, God doesn't want to tabulate or the church doesn't want to tabulate. I just think the number became uh, more than the church could really tabulate. You know, there was people coming, people coming, people coming. Remember the gospel, it goes out from Jerusalem, it goes out to Judea, it goes out to Samaria, it goes to the other most parts of the world. And it was just growing too fast, too numerous for them to really keep track of how many people were coming to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ you know, and so we see that number that happened to begin right there. Another thing that I want us to really recognize, and I hope this will be an encouragement to everyone who happens to be a witness of Jesus Christ, everyone who teaches in Sunday school, everyone, again, who uh, might t- uh, do a lesson, all you, again, mothers and fathers who train your kids at home and have devotions with them, you know, all those again who have a Bible study, maybe with a, a friend, and want to bring them to saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's this God never wastes your effort. Let me just say that because I think a lot of times that we go and we pour our lives and we see so little fruit and we just don't think anything's being done. Let me say it again God never wastes your effort. You know, some, again, when we preach forth the Lord Jesus Christ, it hardens, again, a certain disposition in other people. But let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, it really has an efficacious work in the heart of some. And it's absolutely beautiful. One one, one of the things I love about the creation that happens to be around us is a creation that happens to be around us, the way that the Word of God uses creation that happens to be around us is one illustration after another of God's redemptive mercies, of how God moves, of who He is. Right? We have the Son. We, we we realize that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, and we have all of these metaphors that happen to be again around us. Well, listen to this metaphor. This is taken from Isaiah chapter 55, and the rain and the snow are the word of God going forth. Just follow it through. Look at what it says: For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return. But, they're, but, the, but water the earth. That's what they're, they're meant to do, water the earth. But look at what happens. Making it bring forth sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Right? And we realize we see that in cre- creation. But then he says, so, and he's giving, going to give the spiritual application. Every time you see the rain, every time you see the snow, be reminded of this. He says, so shall my word uh, Be that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me. What's next word? Empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And. Paul, and Peter has just talked about a refreshment, and we can feel that many times, can't we? You know, we come to service, we learn more about God, we learn more about our redemption, we learn more about our security in Christ, we learn more about the great hope that we have, and we walk away, and it's just like, again, we've been in an oasis. We walk away so encouraged. God's word is transforming. God's word is shaping. God's word is molding us. But, but the way that it's spoken here, it's spoken of, again, bringing spiritual life to that which is dead. And think of it, because I know many of your testimonies. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that most of you that happen to be again here are first-generation Christians. Many of you have come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ because of Emmanuel Baptist Church. It's been the instrumental cause in which the Spirit of God has worked in your heart to open up your heart to see Jesus Christ. And you know that. And why do I say that? Because it should be such an encouragement that what we are involved has an eternal, an eternal fruit that shall last. And this is, what, this is what I think beyond a shadow of a doubt. I think all of us in humanity, all of us who happen to be even believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, but all of humanity want some sort of significance. You know, we want some reason why we've existed, Right? I can even go further. We want some mark that we will leave on humanity. And people will build buildings. Uh, They'll work in hospitals. They might donate money, again, for a hospital wing or whatever it happened to be. And let me tell you, all those things will perish. But imagine God using your life to bring somebody to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ who will praise Christ for all of eternity. that has eternal fruit. That has eternal significance. Imagine being involved in a, I don't know, in a VBS. And here you're just teaching young children about Jesus and the saving efficacy of the Lord Jesus, and it doesn't seem to have any fruit. I can remember I was uh, i was in Costco, and I was going through the checkout, and there was a young lady there, and she told me, again, she was smiling at me, smiled at me, it made me feel kind of awkward there for a moment. And she says, uh, how you doing, Pastor Scott? And I said, fine. I said, how do I know you? And she said she was in our, in our VBS, that she's going to church today. She's following the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and one of you teachers taught her. I don't know which one it was. It was probably a number of you. You know, one of you, again, saw that little girl that went out, and you, and you probably thought you would never meet her again. And she's going to bring up sons and daughters in the faith. She's going to have an impact on others, and that fruit will keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. And let me tell you, what is done for Jesus Christ? This should thrill our hearts. What is done is for Jesus Christ, last and last and last for all of eternity. When we train up others, and they go out and train up others and teach others and others, it keeps going. You know, and let me, let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, don't give up. Realize that this has eternal ramifications that will last for all of eternity. This, the other thing that I don't want us to, to, to see here is that so often, and you, and you have to re- realize that so often we see this throughout the book of Acts, but you see this again in church history. So often God uses the persecution of God's people, right? What man means for evil. He wants to stamp it out for once. What God uses is for good and expansion of his kingdom. I mean, it's amazing. When I look... At the opposition that I face as a believer, and even as a pastor of the Lord Jesus Christ, some of the most profitable, some of the most fruitful times in my ministry, I'm not talking just in my heart, growing in the Lord Jesus Christ, it was that, but in my external ministry, ministering to other people, have been in times of opposition. It is absolutely amazing. You know, and we see this throughout church history. You know, when the church is opposed, when persecution comes upon the people of God, People take notice, right? The spirit of God uses it. And why does he, how does he use it? He uses it because when people are opposed, I'm living for this world, I'm living for this comfort, I'm living for these things, I'm living for this experience, I'm living for this relationship that I'm going to be over here, and it's all transitory. And you're willing to give it up. You're willing to suffer. You're willing to have your life more complicated, and you do it so joyfully, rejoicing in Jesus. Here it is. What am I missing in my life? My life, look, you've got a worse life than mine, but mine seems like a shell. It seems so empty. And here's the amazing thing. God uses all of the opposition. And let me just even go further. God uses all of the suffering, even the ones that aren't related. It could be physical. It could be relational in our life. God uses all of that as a bullhorn to announce, no, not here. This is my hope. And this is far better and if Christ took me home today, let me tell you, it would be great gain in my life. Don't don't mourn for me. Rejoice. You know why? For me to live as Christ, but to God, die, is absolutely gain. Do you believe that? You believe, oh, just just want a little more of this life. You know, come, Lord Jesus, but don't come quickly. Right? Right. He uses these things that happen to begin in our life as a bullhorn so we see in this passage that the disciples took the commission seriously and enthusiastically i can imagine big smiles on their face as they say yeah but he's risen and he's given us this great hope but let me tell you beyond the shadow of a doubt don't you want that life don't you want that joy of jesus christ jesus being bigger than anything that happens to be in your life you know it's all here in the word of god you know, the word of God is given to us to impress upon us the glories of Jesus Christ and the glories of his calling in our life, even in here and now. But I'll warn you, I'll warn you beyond a shadow of a doubt that what the disciples recognize. There are many tribulations before we ever enter the kingdom. And the more serious we are about our faith, the more trials and troubles and opposition we will face. But let me tell you, the more blessings, right? Peter and John could have stayed there. Get ahead. You know, could not have preached the Lord Jesus Christ, but they never would have saw the blessing of five thousand individuals that are still in heaven and multitudes and multitudes that came after those five thousand because they became witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of that fruit still continuing on today. You know, because why? They went through that opposition. Christ is bigger. Christ is grander. Christ is more glorious. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Praise God for his goodness. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Father, what an amazing text, what an amazing gospel, what an amazing Lord. And God, as I rambled on today, please forgive me. But Lord, these truths are so great, are so grand. Lord, I thank you that you've chosen and you never waste the trials of our life. We never waste the difficulties and the oppositions that we face. But you use them in such a way, Lord, not only to cause us to grow, but others to see Christ, others to be encouraged to follow him. God, may we be busy about your work. May we not live lives that are wasteful, Lord, that are just for the here and now. But may we live for Christ. We thank you so much for his goodness. We thank you for giving us meaning and joy in our life. Just help us to live those substantial lives that are based upon Christ. We thank you so much. In his name we come. Amen.